Good morning, everybody. Today is just not a really special day. It is an absolutely fabulous day. I get to have a little discussion with one of my favorite uh, industry experts out there, a little inside baseball. We've already had a podcast with Dr. Patrick Moore, and I mean, it was a great intro. So you got to go listen to our first podcast. Dr. Moore, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast. Thanks for having me back, Stuart. Well, I'll tell you what, it, it says a lot that either you're numb or you've got a bad judge of character to come back on the show. So, <laughs> oh no, you, you treated me very nice the last time. Uh, well, and I look forward to speaking with you again because this subject of the environment could go, I can talk about it for 24 hours and I still haven't got the whole thing. Oh, no. There's so much to it. Uh, but yep. I'm interested in, in, in what your questions are today. Okay. Uh, just to set the tone, you know, you always have to see that recap on the uh, Netflix series or something. What we covered was your, and it, I left your book in the other office. It's as a backdrop in my other office, but your first book, everybody's got to get it. It is a fabulous book and it really helped set the tone for me because when I was growing up, I really thought Greenpeace was out there. I thought they were a bunch of nuts. And of course, if you're riding a Zodiac in front of a oil tanker trying to stop it, my hat's off to you, sir. Um, but anyway, you were going after the save the whales, stop nuclear uh, war. You were taking humanity seriously, and I didn't know that. Today, we're going to be talking about your book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. We're going to weave through this here, sir, uh, a bunch of things. You're also on the uh, board for Carbon Coalition Group and Gregory Wrightstone. I've interviewed uh, on here, I think, three times, and I've got him coming back on next month. So thank you so much. Uh, I, I really can't wait to ask you some of these questions. Well, I, I wrote Fake Invisible Catastrophes because it dawned on me one day that virtually all the doomsday projections about climate change and species extinction and all of it are either based on things that are invisible, like carbon right. dioxide and radiation. Those are the two best examples. Right. They make scare stories about things that nobody can see. <laughs> and the other one is things that are remote. That is why polar bears and coral reefs are the icons they use, because very right. few people can go and see whether the Great Barrier Reef is alive or dead. And right. back in 2016, there was all these stories about 93% of the Great Barrier Reef is dead or dying. They never said dead very often. They would just say dying or in right. its final terminal stage, which doesn't mean dead, right? And right. people don't get that, though. If they, they figure if something is dying, it's going to be dead. Right. That isn't necessarily true, especially with coral, which consists of trillions of, of individual little tiny polyps that live in the coral right. itself. If you took all the coral reefs in the world, nobody could even count how many of these little guys there are. Right. And they're, most of them are still alive. And the, the, the key fact, though, is that the, the highest biodiversity of corals is in right. the warmest oceans in the world. Right. In other words, if the oceans get warmer, Corals will spread further. Oh, wow. I didn't know not that. Die, not die out from warmth. Th this is wow. a cold period in Earth's history right now. That's why there's ice on both poles, a lot of it. And right. it, that didn't start happening in, in, in the Antarctic. That started happening about 20 million years ago. In the right. Arctic, it didn't really set in until about three to five million years ago. And then at 2.6 million years ago is where they say, now we are in the Pleistocene Ice Age. And we're oh. still in it. There's been 40 major glaciations during this 2.6 million year period. And wow. everybody, everybody talks about the last ice age. And when you talk about the last ice age, that can also mean the final ice age, not just the most recent one. And, wow. and not only that, it isn't an, the ice age is, is 2.6 million years long. The, right. the most recent glacial maximum, that's what I call it, because there's been 40 of them during right. this 2.6 million period. So the, the most recent one peaked 20,000 years ago, a very short time ago right. of Earth history. And now we are in an interglacial period, which began 10,000 years ago after the ice melted, which took 10,000 years. Right. The, the, the mile thick glacier that covered the whole of Canada and down into the northern tier states 
right. the United States. There was nobody living in those places then because it was ice. Right. And when it when it melted to what we have now, we're in this interglacial period. But the last 5,000 years or so of this period, which is about 12,000 years since it since the glaciers were basically gone as far as they were going to go. Right. Still, though, even in the interglacial period, the North and South Pole are covered in heavy sheets of ice. Right. And growing. In an ice age. And Aren't they growing? Well, they grow every every winter. And right. then they thaw. You know, they, they always show you the picture of the Arctic after six months of 24 hours of sunshine. Only about half of it is there. Okay. But it's still there. And then... But in the I, in the I, dead I, of winter, when, right. when it's at its maximum after twenty after six months of no sunshine, right, it covers the entire Arctic Ocean and then some. And those right. pictures are in my book, and I've got. Bo- I always put both pictures: the, the 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 minimum ice and the maximum ice. Right, and it is true that over the last four hundred years or so, right. the Earth has warmed by a little over one degree Celsius on average. That's that nobody denies that. And 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 it, it, the stupid thing, though, is they say another half degree and the world will come to an end. And that's not true. It, the, the, the planet has been so much warmer than it is now through most of the history of life. Right. And then they say, well, humans weren't here then. Well, yes, but our ancestors were the, the, the lineage of evolution that led to the human species, just like all the other one point seven million known species in the world, half of which are insects. Right. Those are beetles. And so all those species that are here today. Right. Can trace their ancestry back to the beginning of life, because that's how reproduction works. Species don't just pop out of thin air. They evolve through time. And that means that every single living thing on Earth today can trace its ancestry back to the beginning. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here, because if I don't have children, that's the end of that line. Right. Right. And well, Bill Gates wants to kill that. <laughs> yeah, he, he's he's got some really dumb, stupid ideas. He he wants to put stuff in the atmosphere that blocks the sun. You know, like talk about playing God. No, that's about the most ludicrous idea dreamed up in the world. What you just described, Dr. Patrick, uh, Dr. Moore, is the stuff that's going on right now. You and I talked a little bit on the, the last podcast about the cabbage patch that is in your book i mean not uh the pacific patch uh is in your your book and it is phenomenal and they're they're telling things that are not accurate well the, the, great pacific gar- the great pacific garbage patch which is right. supposedly mostly plastic right right uh, is twice the size of texas and growing faster than anyone ever imagined those kind of languages used right it doesn't exist <laughs> it, is, it is fake. And the reason it's invisible is because it isn't there. And it, it, there's only one photograph on the internet, which is of a huge patch of garbage on the sea. Right. And, and it, underneath it, it says part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. I looked at this photograph and I said, but there's mountains in the background, like a whole range of mountains in the background. There's no mountains in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Right. It's the debris from the Japanese tsunami. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding you. That, I, I've, I've, I've figured that out. And if some other people figured it out, too, that this is not the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It is the debris from the death of almost 20,000 people in all those villages that the tsunami washed away and into the sea. So it's wow. kind, of, kind of, I would say, not particularly uh, polite. To, to, to lie about something like that was which was such a tragedy for so many families and people and, and it had nothing to do with plastic it had to do with a with a with a tsunami and an earthquake right. and a tsunami and a tide you know a tidal wave washing away thousands of people right and so that's the only all the other images of the great pacific garbage patch are photoshop that you can go on the right. you wants to just put pacific garbage patch images in your search engine Okay. And you will find all these images that say they're they're images of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, but they're just paintings. They're they're not mm-hmm. photographs. And in my book, you will see yeah. an actual satellite photograph composite over a year by a German satellite, which shows the whole Pacific Ocean. 
Right. You can see the Hawaiian Islands perfectly, even some of the smaller ones. Right. But there is no Pacific garbage patch. It's it's totally open. Clear. If this were going to be the size of Texas, you'd see it. Especially if it was twice the size of Texas. <laughs> right. That's what I mean, they say. Can, That's what they say. Can. And then when I, you know, I, I, I openly question this in my presentations and people come up afterwards and say, well, you know, um, actually it's, it's only the clear plastic. That's why you can't see it. And clear plastic sinks. They don't realize that clear plastic has a higher density than water. Right. So that one doesn't. So I say that. And then they say, well, it's just below the surface. Like as if every piece of plastic has a buoyancy compensation device on it, you know, because things either usually float or sink. (laughs) And then in the final analysis, you know what they say? (laughs) It's microplastic. Therefore, it's invisible. That's what they, uh, that's their final final thrust at the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is to claim that it is invisible. (laughs) That's about the funniest thing I've heard in a long time. I mean, that is just, you know. It is. And, you know, you sit back and kind of go, you got to be creative to think about that. Now, I'm a big advocate on recycling. Love recycling. Absolutely. uh, Love recycling. But where I got a real heartburn is on the wind and solar. We're using wind and solar and then we're heaving this poisonous, toxic crap off to other countries and we're poisoning other folks. We're using all the critical minerals from Africa and we're ruining their lives and then throwing renewables over there. Well, the the real problem, Stuart, is they're not renewable. Windmills are not renewable and neither are solar panels. So they're calling it renewable energy when, yes, the sun is renewable and the wind is caused by the sun. Right. Uh, So they're both caused by the sun, but you can't use them to heat your house or make, you know, cook your food. Uh, right. you, you need to build machinery and that machinery is not renewable. So, you know, really the only two really renewable resources are wood and hydroelectric power. Wood, because mm-hmm. you can make electricity with wood. And if you grow the trees fast enough, you, you can be, you can have it re- renewable energy from wood. But like Alex Epstein talks about wood, dung and inside cooking for the what, three and a half billion people that don't have access to major health issues, major health issues. Love me some hydro. But in uh, I think it's Norway this year, Norway is is a little bit light on uh, energy because they're having a little bit of uh, lack of water. They can't export their their energy out. They're having to make sure they export their natural gas. So it's kind of like I love hydro. Got a hydro by my one of my places up at the lake. Canada is sixty percent hydro. Isn't that great? Brazil is eighty. Norway is, I think, close to ninety. Yep. And uh, but the, the, but there's th- those are exceptions in a way because you you need two things. You need topography and rainfall. Right. So if if you if you if if your country is flat like Denmark. Right. You're not going to have much hydro. And if you don't get much rain like Saudi Arabia, you're not going to get much hydro. Right. But it, it is quite amazing that how much hydroelectricity there is in the world. It's a lot. But I, I think hydro and nuclear are in the sort of same league in, mm-hmm. in that way. But the, the fact is nuclear power could be the main one if we wanted it to be. That This is why I believe we should reduce our use of fossil fuels, not because of CO2. But yes. Precious. And and there's some things that you can only do with fossil fuels, like making plastic, for example, durable right. goods. You know, there's the, this this great photograph of a whole bunch of kayakers in a harbor protesting against an oil rig. Right. And and they're against the plastic. Right. That's what they're talking about. Plastic. And they're the sitting on plastic. plastic. The paddles are made out of plastic. Their coats and life jackets are made out of plastic. Their hats made out of plastic. Everything in the whole boat is made out of plastic. And and, and so that that doesn't really work for me. And no. then not only that, plastic is a wonderful invention. And it they, they talk about banning single use plastic. Right. Well, Actually, what they should be doing is what most Western European countries are doing right. is they sort their waste into combustible versus recyclable. Right. Oh, cool. So, like, for example, if you tear down a house, a wooden frame house. Right. There's all those little pieces of wood full of nails. You're not going to probably try and build something with that. Right. Right. 
So they burn it to make electricity. Waste to energy is a huge industry in Europe. They get uh, yep. something like 4% of their entire electricity from recycling burnable products, right. wood, paper, and plastic. Isn't that great? Yes, it is. But we, we throw 50% of our, of, of our waste into landfills. And, and yeah. we, we, oh, we, sorry, I get excited, sir. Just slap me. But, you know, I, I, I visited with other experts and I love landfill waste methane. Who You know, you can turn that to biofuels and natural gas. I love that. That to me is just better use of existing landfills. Well, let's not do any more. Countries like Germany and France and many of the other Western European countries right. basically have no landfills. And the reason for that is land is so expensive in Europe. Right. Compared to compared to North America, which is wide open, you, know, you can buy a lot, buy a piece of land for a landfill for for a, a tenth of the price you'd pay right. in Europe. So the, the, there's there's so many solutions to these issues that, and all of the solutions that they they call solutions, like net zero, for example, is right. absolutely and totally physically impossible. I mean, that you say, well, what do you do when the wind and sun isn't isn't there? Oh, we're going to have batteries. They say, well, no, right. we don't have that many batteries that, right. that could work for two weeks without any wind or without any sun. Right. It just can't happen. It's it's physically impossible. It would cost the GDP of the whole world to make that many batteries. And then right. some. So we and have they're not recyclable. Uh, the only company that I'm aware of making the big batteries is Frere uh, Technology out of Norway. Their batteries in the batteries are now recyclable. But you still got to use a lot of critical minerals. I was able to interview the CEO there. And my hot button is, if it ain't recyclable, let's not use it. Yeah, well, the, the eventually wind and solar will collapse. Uh, right. the offshore wind now is showing uh, signs of not being financially viable in Britain. Right. Whatever they're doing, the, the U.S. now has just gone completely nuts over this. The whole... All of Gulf of Mexico, all of the Atlantic coast, all the Pacific coast is all supposed to have wind machines. Right. And, and the cost of these things, and they, they only, they last 20 years at best. And when you take a nuclear plant, it would be good for 80 years. A coal plant's good for at right. least 60 years. Even a, a gas plant is good for 40, 50 years. Right. But the, 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 the turbines are not, and neither are solar panels. They, I have a solar system in Mexico for 22 years now. Right. And I've replaced my panels partly because they become obsolete as better ones come on. Right. And partly because they just don't last forever. Well, you know, the when you sit back and take a look at the, you know, your your place in Mexico with all those. And then British Columbia has where you, you grew up up uh, there, Vancouver. Right. Vancouver You're logging. Island. Yeah, all your logging stories with your family and everything else. There's a lot of wood there. Um, I was visiting with one of your your cohorts in crime. Oh, I, I'm trying to think of his name. I just did his podcast. Haven't released it yet. Uh, and he was protesting the whales up in in the east because the vibrations from all those wind farms are killing whales. Mark Morano. Is that who you were? Um, or or uh, the fellow from uh, uh, Craig Rucker. Craig Rucker. Yeah, those two. Well, they, those two are peas in a pod. They work very closely together and they've been good friends of mine for a long, long time. I, I really enjoyed my talk with Craig and I'm visiting with some other hatchery folks as well. And when, and when you sit back and take a look, I love the fact that they were on uh, boats and they were protesting the whales and things and then, you know, trying to get out there. I respect that. And I as soon as he said he was one of your friends, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> well, I was I was actually planning to be on that mission and it just didn't work out in my timetable because I have to travel the whole way across the continent to get to it. But I've right. written quite a bit about that and spoken about it quite a bit, because what you have here is Greenpeace betraying its own founding principles by being on the side of metal machines against the whales. Like I we, get it. we spent four years on the high seas against the Russian and Japanese whaling fleets that were killing 30,000 whales a year with harpoons. And we got in front of the harpoons in, our, in little rubber boats and got that on TV around the world. And we eventually ended the commercial whaling industry. Yep. And now you have these huge wind farms 
going into the feeding grounds of the northern right whale and the humpback whales. There's only about 400 northern right whales left. Most people don't know why they're called right whales. The reason they're called right whales is because when you kill them, they float, whereas most whales sink. Right. And so for whales like sperm whales and blue whales and those ones that they were killing, they ha- you have to attach floats to them right away when you kill them in order that mm. they sink to the bottom. So that's why they're called right whales. Wow. I did not know that. But, you know, um, Dr. Moore, when we sit back and take a look at the whales, we take a look at the energy hypocrisy that's going on. And you take a look at why, uh, like the Inflation Reduction Act uh, is funding a lot of this stuff. Siemens, and I'm just kind of going through this thought process, Siemens lost, what, one uh, couple billion dollars because they can't manufacture these things. The whales are such an incredible and and important part of our ecology. The eagles are getting slammed around, all the migratory birds. So we're really negatively impacting the environment, land, wind, everything. How can we fix this? Uh, You saved the whales the second. Let me just shout this out. Oil and gas say or oil saved the whales the first time because the sperm whales, you know, uh, that we were hunting them for their oil sack, if I remember correctly, on something like that. You were a the reason we saved them the second time, and now who's going to save them the third time? And that is either nuclear, natural gas. But we got to get on it in order to get it done. Yeah, it's such a shame that uh, they they're they're including natural gas in the fuels that they want to ban, uh, when right. in fact it is the cleanest fuel for combustion purposes. Uh, But going back again to the issue of nuclear, nuclear energy can supply all energy needs in stationary buildings and equipment because you can put a wire to them. And when you can put a wire to something, you can use it either for heat or electricity. Right. Right. You can use electricity directly or you can use the electricity to make heat. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that I'd be against somebody having a stove that burns natural gas because it's a, it's a I hate electric stoves that you can't see what they're doing. You know, whereas with gas, you can see what it's doing and how, how high it's turned up and all that. And the idea that, that, that the fumes from natural gas are going to harm people is so stupid because one of the benefits of natural gas is that it can be cleaned of all impurities before it gets put in the pipe. Where you exactly. can do that easily with oil and coal. With natural gas, you can take all, like they take this the carbon monoxide out of it. Right. They take the carbon dioxide out of it. They take the water out of it. They take all the impurities out so you get pure CH4. Right. And that is one of the purest chemicals there is. It turns into CO2 and water when you burn it. And neither of those are going to harm you. Well, the CO2 coalition that you work with, with Gregory Wrightstone and, and other world leaders uh, on that, I don't believe that CO2 is a bad thing. It, we suddenly get greener with everything. And with CO2 not being that bad, pretty important to be able to use that. Hydrogen is a whole different animal. It's a smaller molecule. And if you put it into the pipelines, it escapes easier and blows up. I mean, I don't want to have going it. to happen. Yeah, hydrogen thing is 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 fake. So is the carbon dioxide capture that they're going to bury oh. CO two. You know, energetics works in 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 one way. When you right. burn fossil fuels, you use the energy, right? right? You get energy, net energy. If you want to capture the CO two, it's going to take even more energy, right? So then you won't have any energy anymore because you have to use a lot of energy to capture and bury the CO2. And and none of these uh, uh, pilot projects have shown much promise at all. Anyways, we want CO2 in the atmosphere because it is still at the level it's at now. It is still lower than virtually the entire history of the Earth. Wow. It was 5,000 parts per million when the Cambrian explosion of of multicellular life emerged and life went boom in the oceans. About 540 million years ago is where they put the marker right. for when multicellular life emerged. It emerged when CO2 was more than 10 times higher than it is now. And, and at the same time, the forests emerged 
during the Carboniferous period when CO2 was about 3,000 parts per million. Wow. In, in, in other words, it, it's just so stupid that people are worried about more CO2 because it's a, entirely beneficial. It makes plants grow better. And what we're dealing with in the CO2 coalition right now, the specific pro- program we're working on, is the anti-fossil fuel people are saying, oh, yes, sure, the plants grow bigger and faster, but they don't have as much nutrition in them if CO2 is higher. Total lie. That makes sense to me. We've got to prove that it is a lie. And so we're in a fairly large research project now because, you know, Mm -hmm. nutrition is you can't just take a a piece of fruit and and, and tell exactly what the nutrition is in it by looking at it. Right. You have to do real serious chemical work. And these guys, therefore, are able to lie about it because they're just saying that they're just saying there's less nutrition and they have no proof of that. And so we're we're looking at greenhouse growers because all commercial greenhouse growers double and triple the CO2 inside their greenhouses. Exactly. Uh, Faster growth. But the anti CO2 people are saying, yes, they grow faster, but they're not as good for you. The foods out of greenhouses. Come on. You, you, You. Look at what's coming out of greenhouses these days. Nobody is protesting out in front of a cannabis plant in the United States about CO2 injection into the greenhouses. Sorry, I just haven't seen uh, Greenpeace out there in front of a... Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, sir. (laughs) They'd probably say, you know, if it's in the greenhouse, it's enclosed and therefore it's not going to change the climate or some goofy thing like that. But, But they are saying that higher CO2 will produce food with less nutrition. And right. this is clearly a lie. I mean, I mean, unless you don't give them enough nutrition, you have to give plants fertilizer in, in, right. and the minerals they need to, to grow in a greenhouse. Or uh, fertilizer you, that, that you make from natural gas and then you kill natural gas. Well, that's another one it, that, you know, Sri Lanka banned nitrogen fertilizer right. because it's a, causing greenhouse gas, they say. Well, they're having a little bit of a problem there. Yeah, well, they're starving to death. And and the, the, the prime minister and his finance guy had to flee the country in a boat or they would have been hung in the streets. You know, and, and the same thing's going on in, in Holland. Right. Which is the biggest f- producer of food for Europe because they have yeah. a lot of really nice flat land, much of which is below sea level. That's another thing I I, I, I advise people about sea level rise first you won't have to run. It's two millimeters a year. Second, if you're really, really worried about it, hire the Dutch because a quarter of Holland is below sea level and growing beautiful crops. Right. So we, we do know how to build uh, structures that keep can keep water out. I want I want to ask the what you want. I know I want I want to ask the rich politicians like some of our formal former presidents that have bought million dollar mansions right next to the ocean. Yeah. Uh, let's just kind of ask yeah. that. You couldn't mean Obama by any chance. I shoot. I guess so. Yes. <laughs> it's not true though. They, 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 there's, there's a rumor that our top anti-carbon guy, um, you know, the vice president at one time. Oh, um, Herman Munster. No, no. He almost became president. Uh, oh, Al Gore. Al Gore. Yes. Al Gore has bought a house in California that's quite close to the sea. Right. But it's at 500 foot elevation because the mountains go up. So the, the people have been saying that he's bought a house that could get flooded by uh, right. sea level rise. But that would probably take a few million years. Uh, where, whereas Obama's house is truly at low elevation. Yeah. In uh but Dr. Moore, there that fits into the same narrative that they're spreading false information, if you would. And yes, I they are. And and I've been banned by by the UN for my comments. And I quite honestly consider that a uh, a badge of honor for speak trying to speak the truth on these things. Every one of my videos on YouTube has a United Nations disclaimer on it. Yep saying giving the definition of climate change as being mainly caused by human activity and and climate change has been happening throughout the ages long before humans even existed for one thing Uh, for another thing our emissions of co2 are in fact the salvation of life on earth and i've written a peer-reviewed paper on it 
that no one has ever questioned any individual fact in that paper. It's called The Positive Impact of Human CO2 Emissions on the Survival of Life on Earth. Hmm. And what people should know is that over the ages, most of the CO2 has been removed from the atmosphere and the oceans. In other words, from the fluid states where it can move around easily from place to another, from organism to another. The sea contains nearly 50 times as much CO2 as the atmosphere does. Wow. And there is an equilibrium between the two at the surface of the sea and the bottom of the atmosphere where where carbon dioxide can go out or in to the ocean. When the ocean cools, it absorbs more gas, not just CO2, but all the gases in the atmosphere. But CO2 is one of them. When the oceans warm, they give off gas. Take a glass of water out of a fridge and put it on your counter. And very soon, little bubbles form on the inside of the glass. That's the gases coming out as it warms. And this happens with the whole earth, which is three quarters covered in water. Those oceans are constantly changing from winter to summer. As the temperature changes, gases go in and out. So they're they're in, in concert with each other. And this period of time we're in now has the lowest CO2 that's ever existed on Earth since its beginning. And it, 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 it bottomed during the most recent glacial maximum at 180 parts per million. There is absolutely no evidence of any lower level of CO2 in the history of the Earth. Not only was it at 180, but 150 is where plants start to die. Plants don't just need CO2. Just like us, they need a certain amount. We need about 15% oxygen in the atmosphere to breathe properly. And thankfully, that's 20. So we're okay. But if you take the oxygen level down, 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 pretty soon you you, you suffocate and die. Not It doesn't have to go to zero for you to die. It only has to go down less than halfway what it is. And the same thing is true of CO2 for plants is that if they don't have at least 150 parts per million, which is 0.015%, it's amazing how little CO2 can be, you know, produce plants. They can they can live with that at 180, but they can't live with 150. And so CO2 had been going down for at least 500 million years. We know that for sure because we can we've got measurements back to where it was 5000 ppm. Right. And why has it been going down? Partly because of the fossil fuels. All the fossil fuels represent CO2 that was removed from the atmosphere or the oceans and buried in sediment where it's no longer available until we dig it up and burn it, right? It was no longer, and that's 10 million billion tons of carbon. 10 million billion uh, tons. Yeah, but that's nothing. The big issue is carbon dioxide being used by marine shell fish. Wow. All of the clams and oysters and mussels and barnacles and coral reefs, which is 50% of it, are made from calcium carbonate. During the explosion of life, almost everything was just like a jellyfish. There weren't any shells or skeletons. One right. line, the, cord, the, the chordata, developed in, in internal skeletons like we have, right? But many of the marine creatures developed armor plating around the, their whole body. Right. At night in armor. So if you take a clam and take its shell off, it's pretty vulnerable to predation. Right. right. This was a brilliant invention by many, many different species of marine life to build shells for themselves. Those shells fall to the bottom of the ocean when those creatures die and don't come back up again. So that is why the CO2 level has gone down to such an extent. So at least 90% of the reduction in CO2 is because of carbon calcium carbonate. Well, how does plankton fit in? Because the whales have a incredible impact and animals have an incredible plankton is one of the biggest things on the, on the world, right? I mean, it, it, trees are, well, trees are, but the sea, the sea has about 5% of the global biomass on the land. Uh, And and it's because of trees. If you look at a, a hillside of trees, and figure out how many people it would take to weigh that much or how many cows it would take or whatever, you know. Right. The trees, the trees are possible. The trees and all the other plants in the forests okay. are, are about 90% of all biomass on the planet, all living biomass. Right. 
Well, I'm asking just because I went to Oklahoma State University and we did have a bunch of cows around there. But if you have the whales, you have so much carbon dioxide uh, being pulled from the oceans. The animal life is just a, a, a cr- incredibly uh, important piece of that whole puzzle. Yeah, they poop it right out again. Right, exactly. So it stays uh, yeah. in the it stays in the system. The the the, the real losses of carbon, which is the right. base of life, the real losses are due to burial as fossil fuels. The, the coal is made from forests right. and the oil and gas is made from marine deposits that go down. But it's the organic part of life that gets turned into fossil fuels. The right. calcium carbonate, which is the shells of so many marine creatures, including all the coral reefs. And in the in, in ancient okay. times, when the world was warmer, the coral reefs covered a much larger area of the oceans than they do today because the oceans are cold. Uh, right. compared to what they were for the 250 million years before now. And so and this, this, these are the great ironies. The world is colder now than it has been for most of life. And it is also lower in CO2 than it has been for all of life. Wow. Until we started putting it back again. So our addition of CO2 to the atmosphere by burning fossil fuels and making cement, cement is made from limestone, which is calcium carbonate. Right. And so about 10% of our CO2 emissions are from cement manufacturing. And about 90% are from fossil fuel combustion. Between the two of them, they are bringing CO2 back to a level that is getting close to being beneficial for plants in a a very powerful way. And we double it again from now, it'll be even better. And double it again from that, it'll be even better. So, And and it's not going to have any significant effect on the temperature of the earth. The main thing causing the temperature of the earth to be what it is, is water. There's three stages of water. There's water as a gas, which we call humidity, which is a greenhouse gas. There is water as a liquid, which we call clouds and rain. And all the oceans, two-thirds of the world's surface, three-quarters nearly, of the world's oceans, of, of the world is covered with oceans. All of that water has a huge effect on climate. And then there's the ice which reflects sunlight away. The tops of the clouds reflect sunlight away. On average, every day, half the earth is cloudy. If there were no clouds, first, there would be no rain. Secondly, the earth would be much warmer because it would not be getting reflected back into space before it comes down to the ground. So when you when you really look at it, water is at least 90% of the factors that cause greenhouse warming. And it's not... The greenhouse was an inappropriate term in the sense that the, the sky does not have a roof on it, right? Um, the reason greenhouses work the way they do is because they're enclosed, whereas our atmosphere is not enclosed. It 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 does have uh, the tropopause when you go, the troposphere is the lower part of the atmosphere where, we, where most life is. Right. But then there's the stratosphere above that. Because the temperature gets colder and colder as you go up in the troposphere. And then as soon as you hit the tropopause, which is the boundary between the troposphere and the stratosphere, the temperature gets warmer. And therefore, you see anvil clouds, that's because they've hit the tropopause tropopause, and they can't go into the stratosphere. So that's a barrier to the heat and water and everything in the lower atmosphere getting into the upper Mm -hmm. atmosphere. So it is a bit like a roof. And, but it's still not right to be calling it greenhouse effect. They should have had a better, a different name for it because right. a greenhouse is a structure which does capture sunlight and keep it in. What's well, right? the same thing with fossil fuels? Fossil fuels are misnamed as well because uh, they're they as not and not renewable because they are renewable. I mean, well, they're not renewable at the le- to the extent that we're using them now, though it took. It, it took right. a, a billion years. Most of, and, and most of the coal was made during the Carboniferous era when trees e- evolved. There was nothing that could eat them. And because lignin was is the major uh, component of wood, along with cellulose. Interestingly, right. trees are an exact replica of a con- reinforced concrete column with rebar being the cellulose and, and, and uh, lignin being the cement. The concrete. Wow. And so that nature learned how to make a reinforced column long before we did. Um, 
you know, my head's exploding, uh, Dr. Moore, with everything that we have. I'm not worthy to hang with you on our conversation here. Um, I, I just enjoy you so much with all you, you just kind of weave the whole story and, and kind of take any of my, you know, moving around and boom, you got it right there. Um, I wish I had you as a professor back in college. I might have had a different life. Well, I was really lucky to have really, really good profs. I, you know, I, I I went to the University of British Columbia for my undergraduate science, biology and forestry honors uh, degree. And then I decided I would go to a U.S. institution and I picked at Washington University in St. Louis, nice. where one of the top people in photosynthesis, for me at that time, the holy grail was photosynthesis, because that's how life really became what it is today in many ways, because the, the life learned to combine water and carbon dioxide to make sugar, which became the energy for the whole thing. And that's and photosynthesis is a very complicated process. And at just at that time, when I was young, they were just beginning to really understand right. cascade of energy that goes into this amazing process. So I, I, I wanted to go there. I got there in the summer of 69. And unfortunately, the Martin Luther King riots, 78, had resulted in burning the whole center of the city down pretty much. And grad students had just been told they're eligible for the draft. And and the, some river was catching fire regularly nearby. And it was sort of like the, you know, coming out of out of the Schreier, like Frodo coming out of the Schreier and, and, and finding himself in Mordor. Oh, yeah. At the foot of the volcano. And... I, with, with Sam Gamgee and uh, being chased and by... I, I was in a Volkswagen microbus uh, camper, so I'd got to St. Louis from Vancouver. And so I figured, well, why don't I just carry on? And I went down to Key West and all across the southern tier states and back up through California and went to my profs and said, please let me do my PhD here where I know everybody and has you've got you, there's such good profs here. And so I did an interdisciplinary PhD in ecology where I learned... Uh, environmental law, environmental economics, oceanography, wow. and you know, biology and genetics and all those things. And uh, since then, I've been a lifelong learner as well, all through my life, learning new things. Right. And also looking, a lot of people look at a situation and don't bother walking around it to see what it looks like from all the other directions. At least that's the metaphor I use for how I analyze I a situation. And because sometimes things look different from a different angle and uh, the, Greenpeace look different from my side until years later. I'll be uh, honest with you. Yeah, well, they went they, they, they basically we got hijacked by the political left. Now, I'm not against left or right, but I, I, I know there needs to be a balance. But yeah. when it's purely political and devoid, devoid of right. factual information is where I give up. Because so, so so much of what's going on today, like this net zero movement, is totally fake. It's never going to happen. The, the fossil fuel consumption has increased since we started doing net zero. Right. It's gone so up. I, We're using more fossil fuels today than we did three years ago. I went on record. I went on record, sir, three years ago, saying the more we go renewable, the more fossil fuels we will do use, and it's because fossil fuels are such an integrated part of renewables. You have to have them in order to make them, and China is only using more renewable uh, sources because they're using it to add the extra energy that they're needing and they're adding the what the one to two coal plants a week well they're bu they're building all this stuff with coal exactly and then they're, they're selling so have the crap to long, <laughs> i've said for a long time Stuart, that all wind and solar technology should have to be made with wind and solar energy exactly and see how much you got left at the end of the day how can you make steel with wind and solar when you got to get the the steel molten? You can't do it. I don't know how you could. Oh, you I'm could do it. Electricity can, you know, an electric arc furnace can be run with wind and solar energy if you cover the whole country in it, I guess. I, it, of course, yeah. the, one of the big problems with wind and solar is they take up so much more land. Right. And and with wind, they're not only bird killers. Now they're turning them into whale killers. You yeah, know, it, it it's just a, a terrible crying shame. And the amount of materials, if we if they even try to use batteries, 
like just just making all the cars electric is going to double the amount of electricity we need. Oh, I know. And I, I just interviewed just as a side note, um, Ronald Stein and uh, Todd Royal. And one of our big uh, conversations, clean energy exploit, exploitation, one of my big pet peeves, sir, is the fact that why can't we use hybrids to get us by for all these years? 60 miles per gallon, use less batteries. I'm in on that. I don't mind using less fossil fuels, but EVs are just not stacking up with the numbers here. Well, I, I mean, I, and I'm not against electric vehicles. There's, there's I'm lots not of, either. Lots of applications where they're useful. And if you're rich enough to afford one, that's fine. I mean, I don't mind. Uh, they're quiet and right. cool, but they're not universally applicable, especially for heavy transport and flying airplanes. Or, or the so, average schmo. Yeah. So this is why I believe we should conserve fossil fuels, because there are some things that you can't do uh, without them. Flying right. A primary one. This whole hydrogen iPhones. thing and green, green hydrogen, they call it. You know, they, right. the, the word green is one of the biggest propaganda words that's ever been invented because it has no definition in science. It's green. That's a color. Right. That's all it is, is a color. <laughs> a color of plants. But windmills aren't made of plants. Right. And neither are solar panels. And so the the. The word green is is a purely marketing term. Like wow. sustainable is not just a marketing term. Sustainable means it will last a long time at the present rate of use, even if it's non-renewable. Iron, okay. iron ore. Is there's enough iron ore in the in the earth to cover the whole place with steel? You know, it it, it isn't going to run out, even no. though it's not renewable. And then there are there's the word renewable, which is a a, a term that makes sense if it's growing by itself, right? right. Windmills are not growing by themselves and neither are solar panels. So they are not renewable. I've, I found in all my calcul. Oh, sorry, sir. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, and I, and I, then my little ditty is renewable, clean, sustainable, and green, right? I use those four words. Most people think they don't mean kind of the same thing, but actually they're all four of them are very different. Exactly. Renewable means renewable by itself without us having to build it, right? Clean means not polluted, means right. it's not poisoned, means it's, it's, it's healthy. Sustainable means it will last a long time at the present rate of use. You could cut trees too fast. That's not sustainable, even though they're renewable. Right. So sustainable and renewable are very distinctly different things. Right. Then there's the, the green. Now we come to a word that has no definition. Right. right? It's just floated about as if everything's green for these people. That, yeah, and so they, they soon you they they talk about cars being green. Right. They're not green. They're mostly white and black and blue and other colors. Can I, can I ask a, a a favor on this? And that is, and when you define sustainable, it is in my opinion that sustainable is fiscally and financially uh, responsible as well too, because we cannot sustain the printing of money in order to make this transition. And all it's doing is creating inflation. I mean, we have the Porculus bill, uh, um, the Inflation Reduction Act, excuse me. And then we have printing around the world. So sustainable ought to be sustainable in a couple different ways. Would you agree with that? Well, absolutely. I mean, my main point is that this present path that they have put us on is not sustainable. Right. And there's going to be hell to pay if they keep doing it. Because, they, you know, look at the inflation's going back up, interest rates are going back up. Markets don't like this situation. Right. But the, the main thing is, is that net zero is impossible. So let's not talk about that. Let's talk about right. how do we get more nuclear power? That's right. what we, that's that's the biggest possibility for reducing fossil fuels. We're I not like going to do it with wind and solar. No way. It just can't happen. And, and as a matter of fact, I believe they are a net drain on the whole system. At this right. point. They're just they being are. subsidized so much that it's coming out of everybody's pockets and not not really producing as much as it should. There's there's a you know, they, they, there is a new nuclear plant design that has been approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. If you right. look at Canada's main uranium mining chemical, chemical, can't remember how to, to pronounce it. Um, but there's stock prices up going up nice and steep because 
is going to be more nuclear energy. And anybody who understands energy knows that nuclear is the most promising in order to replace fossil fuels. Hydro, where it's available, but much of it has already been tapped uh, because it, it, you know, as I say, can it? It's one of the cheapest if you have a good site with lots of water and good elevations. It's one of the least expensive to operate. They're expensive to build, but they last for 100 years and or or even more in some cases. Uh, You know, Brazil has 80 percent hydroelectric energy because Mm -hmm. it's got a wet climate in the Amazon. Well, let me ask you this. Um, I, I got to visit with Tom Jensen, who is the CEO over at Copenhagen Atomics, and they're building the thorium reactors and they're able to they're planning as soon as they get the thorium i think i gotta check with him but i think they've already got their first ones running and they're going to start building one uh 360 is what their target is of the modular reactors you can drive one in and then drop it off at a coal plant and then use it and you still use all the equipment and everything else i love that because it uses nuclear waste I mean, that to me is pretty exciting. It's a nuclear reactor, modular. I just, I just wish, Stuart, they would stop calling it a thorium reactor. Okay, tell me. Because yeah. thorium is not fissile. You can't, you can't burn thorium. You have to produce in a, fa- in a nuclear plant, you have to put thorium in with the fuel, which right. uranium-235 is the only fissile isotope on Earth. Right. There is no other fissile isotope. But there are other isotopes that are fertile, and thorium is fertile, which means it can be converted into a fissile isotope in a reactor. So you end up turning the thorium into uranium-233, which is fissile. It doesn't exist on the Earth because its half-life is short enough that it's all been decayed if there was some in the first place. But we can make thorium into uranium-233 in the same way we can make Uranium-238, which is 99.3% of natural uranium and is not fissile. Only uranium-235 is fissile. It's wow. But we can, t- we can take uranium-238 and turn it into plutonium-239. That's why plutonium reactors are possible. And Russia is running three of them. I think they've started the third one. Uh, on the Caspian Sea, where they are using the plutonium that was created in uranium reactors. Right. They're using it as a fuel. Nice. So, and thorium, and thorium is much more abundant than uranium even. So, I, I compare this to the parable of the loaves and fishes, where Jesus took one fish and four loaves of bread and felt, fed a multitude. Right. And this little bit of uranium-235 that we have, which is only 0.7% of natural uranium, can be multiplied by hundreds or perhaps even thousands of times by converting the fertile isotopes that are on this earth into fuel. But, it, but the, it's, you don't burn thorium. You, you convert thorium into uranium-233 and then burn the uranium-233. So it's, it's more complicated wow. than just taking thorium and using it as a fuel. Is there anything on this planet you don't know, sir? I'm sure there's plenty of things. I don't know. <laughs> the trouble with that is you never know what you don't know. You know? Um, I have enjoyed our conversation so much um, because I love learning from our industry leaders. And I can't wait to visit with you again because I've got our, our conversation was great in one way. I thoroughly had a great time. But I, I got about 9,000 more questions, and I hope I can have you back again. Well, next time, let me explain to you why, if it wasn't for climate change, there wouldn't be any polar bears. <laughs> I'm going to let our listeners just absolutely hang on the edge of the seat until it's we can fact. visit again. That's a fact. I love it. Now, uh, tell us what you've got going on. Tell us a little bit about the Carbon Coalition, and because you're trying to be part of the solution. And that, to me, is so important. Well, we've got quite a wonderful group uh, in Arlington, Virginia, just on the border with D.C. there. Uh, the, the CO2 coalition is totally focused on carbon dioxide as the most beneficial molecule on Earth because it is the right. base of all life. Carbon dioxide is the currency of life, as right. I describe it. And 
The CO2 coalition is now dealing with this issue, as I mentioned before, with the nutritional value of plants that are grown in a higher CO2 atmosphere. The uh, climate fanatics are claiming that it they're less nutritional if they're grown in a higher CO2 atmosphere, which we know is almost certainly false. But now we are doing a full review of all the literature to find, especially in greenhouses where they do have higher CO2 levels already, we will be able to find out what the nutritional value of those are, because I'm sure greenhouse growers have records on that. Mm-hmm. If they don't, we're going to help make them get some. So they, the, 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 the truth about uh, CO2 is it is uh, absolutely and totally beneficial. And we know that in the CO2 coalition. We have 160 some odd members now. We've grown nice. gra- very gradually. We've grown Every single new member has to be approved by the entire board of directors, which nice. includes William Happer, PhD physicist emeritus. Yeah. Uh, he's uh, not Harvard, um, uh, the Syracuse. Anyways, he's, 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 he invented a type of laser beam. And mm-hmm. then there's Richard uh, Lindzen, who is MIT, which is one of the main nuclear schools in the United States, and 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 he's a, a brilliant scientist. And then we right. every every person who comes on has to be vetted as to their understanding of the subject and what their background is. And right. almost everybody who comes is is independent because any right. scientist who's working for any institution going to get blackballed the second they join the CO two coalition. Right. Now now we have our first Nobel laureate. John Clauser, Nobel Prize in Physics 2022, just lately. It was wow. for something he did some time ago. It's something I honestly don't understand at all, that particles that are at far distance from each other can inter- interfect, interact with each other. But he proved this, and, and it, it is wow. recognized by other physicists as one of the most amazing proofs that's been created in, in physics. And he clearly states that there is no climate emergency. And I agree with him, and so do all the rest of us in the CO2 coalition. It's a total fabrication. It is a political movement that has nothing to do with science. And you know that when people call CO2 carbon pollution. CO2 is not carbon. It's like calling water hydrogen because it's H2O, right? right? So anytime anybody says the word carbon, when what they are actually talking about is carbon dioxide, just write them right off because they're lying, right? And fake <laughs> and don't know a thing, right? That is a that and it's the same thing with climate denier. Right. I'm called a climate denier. Right. right? That's their shorthand for someone who doesn't believe that CO2 is going to destroy the world. You just don't believe their story. And you know, sorry. I don't believe their story because it's a lie. The world is right. not coming to an end anytime soon. And 0.5 or one degree additional temperature, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change throws this number out and says, if if we get even as little as 0.5% more heat, everything will be done, right? You'll all be toast. That's complete BS. The earth has been warmer than it is today. The the tropics don't heat up when the earth gets warmer. They stay pretty close to what they are now. But if people would only recognize that not only is is it okay for the earth to be warmer, but we are a tropical species. Humans came from the equator. That's where we evolved. That's where we discovered how to use fire and then to use animal skins as clothing and then to build houses. And that's only reason we got out of the tropics. Fire, we're both in a shelter right now. And we got heat and air conditioning and all kind of good stuff. I'm in a shelter in my office from my wife. And so I go to my lake house whenever I try to, you know, I poop on the rug with my wife and I, you know, I go to the lake house. So the lake house sounds pretty nice. We've got a house on Northern Vancouver Island, which Eileen and I built 50 years ago when I was just coming out of my PhD. We decided to go back to the land because I was told if I ever wanted to get a job in industry or government, perhaps I should change the nature of my inquiry. And because I was doing a PhD on the island copper mine, which was proposing to put its tailings into the sea, submarine tailings disposal. And they said it would not mix in the water. And I looked at the oceanography figures for that particular inlet, 
And it was thoroughly mixed from top to bottom. So I was absolutely right that the tailings would get mixed into the water and spread out all over the place. Actually, that was a good thing because it dispersed them and they weren't very toxic anyways. And the other alternative was a tailings dam on the land where it rains 100 inches a year and the possibility of a breakage of the dam, which has happened in the world. So actually, there were three choices. Build a tailings dam on the land, use submarine tailings disposal, or no $3 billion worth of copper. Wow. In other words, those were the three choices. So I came to see after I'd been doing some thinking that I had been right about a very small thing and wrong about the larger picture. And it's really important to to remember that because it's easy to, to just get as I say, you know, just looking at a narrow band of something right? instead of walking all around it and looking at it from every direction. Because that, that, that those tailings caused no damage. The, the crab fishery and the, the, uh, the fish fishery continued throughout the whole 30 years operation of the mine. And right. now it's been turned into a beautiful new forest with a, with a, great? Nice, a nice lake where the hole in the ground was. was the, at one point, that mine, because it was right by the sea, was the right. lowest point on earth. It was 1,200 feet deep. And there's there's no other place on earth that is that far below sea level. All right. So Thanks. I learned a lot. And, and I've just kept lifelong learning. My mother taught me this when I was quite young. Right. When, I was, when I was 12, I was given the whole books of knowledge, which are, you know, like about four feet of books about everything on earth. And I, I, wow. I, I got fascinated by the solar system. So I memorized the diameter of every planet and how many days it took to rotate and go around the sun and all that stuff. You know, I, I just, I'm like a sponge that way. I'll tell you what, I'm going to throw you in there and I'd love to have uh, an interview with you and Elon. Y'all be just entertaining. Uh, I mean, it would be a hoot to visit with you two and your knowledge. I'd love that. I, I'm, I'm, I, I admire him greatly. Yes. He's, he's quite the character. Uh, he he's, he comes up with a surprise now and again. <laughs> and I kind of like that. I mean, he is he's creative, and right. that, to me, creativity is in some ways the it's the key to progress. Right. Uh, and and you know the Tesla. It, it's I love a, Tesla. I mean, beautiful thing. And my my friend has three of them, and and they're really nice to ride around in. Uh, I don't think that. If having some of the cars that way is a big problem, I mean, it's just a car, right? It's got a battery in it and it might be, you know, that you have to pay 10,000 bucks for a new battery one day. And the same with hybrids. That's why I sold my hybrid uh, Toyota Highlander. Uh, I had it for about six years and and I was told that, you know, about eight years, you might need to buy a new battery and it's going to cost you six, 8,000 bucks. And so I decided to sell it. And and now I have a forerunner, which I love because I, I I drive 45 miles of gravel road to get into my home in Winter Harbor on the north end of Vancouver Island. Vancouver like Island that. is the biggest island on the west coast of the Americas. Yeah, I like that. Um, would you sell a plot of land next to it so I could come up and move in? <laughs> See, actually, our partners with three three companies are my father's logging company, which is has retired. It's not logging anymore, but we have 160 acres on the waterfront up there in Winter Harbor. Harbor. And then there's across the bay, there was this large waterfront, which we own a third of with two other partners. And we're in the process of subdividing it now. And it's available. And uh, the the fact is waterfront property in British Columbia is at a premium. There's hardly any available because it just gets snapped up like that. Even if it's in an isolated place like we are. Isn't that cool? Yep. Well, doc, uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, I am so thrilled to get to know you. I just, and I'm sorry, I'm such a big cheerleader of yours, but I can't wait to have a future discussion and any of your other members in the Carbon Coalition and really try to help uh, for our listeners. Um, this is a fake invisible catastrophes and the threat of doom. And uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, thank you again so it's much. Available. Stuart, it's available on all the Amazon sites. Absolutely. One little thing here. Right. Amazon.com. I have more. I have 3,050 reviews on this book on Amazon.com. Right. 5% of them are five and four star. Right. 
only 1% are two star and 1% are one star, right. right? Those are people who are trying to discredit. There's not many right. of them. Most, as I say, 95% are, are four and five star. Amazon has put a huge excerpt from my book by some guy who's criticizing me for being an industry consultant. At, at the top. And given a two star review at the top of my reviews, right? Uh, Amazon Canada gives me all five star reviews right from the top and then puts in the lower ones later. Right. This one star review, two star review at the top is Amazon purposefully trying to reduce the sale of my books. Yeah, I, I, we can get started on this because I'm in a hundred countries and most of my stuff is uh, on my web, my news sites and everything else. I'm hacked by the US, not China, not Russia. I've got firewalls up there and I can see how my Google ranks are around the world and I'm throttled in the US. So yeah, well, that's what someone's trying to do to my book. And I, the US is my biggest market. It's 50% of my sales. On, on well, I'm going to go drop a couple uh, good reviews in there and uh, try to get that good word in there because I thoroughly have enjoyed your book. Do you have any idea about how to get hold of Amazon? I tried yesterday and I got somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And 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 then they said, I'll send you an email and you have to reply. And I tried to do it and it didn't work. And then that was the end of that. I spent an hour on the phone for nothing. And no. I don't know how to get through to them. I mean, maybe they don't want me to. I'm sure they don't. They have you rabbit hold into a, you know, whatever. So uh, with that, let's get uh, call it a day here, sir. So yeah. thanks, right. Stuart. Nice to be with you.